Welcome to Destiny Revival Ministries Sermon of the Week. Thank you for joining us. You can stay up to date through our social media or give from the link in the details. We hope this message blesses you. If you have with you your Bibles, go with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter number 3. Um, <clears throat> we're going to I'll figure out what the title, I haven't quite put a finger on what the title is gonna be for this, but I do wanna go ahead and start uh, with the idea that I'm wanting to release to you as a body of believers is the glory of the new covenant is greater. Somebody say that with me. The glory glory. of the new covenant is greater. Now, we're going to go back to verse 1, but I want to just begin in verse 9, which says, For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, more does the ministry of righteousness and glory, abound in glory. All right, so let me read that one more time. For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. The ministry of Righteousness abounds much more in glory. Sorry if I'm saying and being repetitive here. The ministry of righteousness abounds much more in glory. But look what it says. If the ministry of condemnation has glory. How many of you understand what the ministry of condemnation was? All right. How many of you? Can anybody give me one answer real quick? Okay, so the ministry of condemnation, what do you mean? It's the law, the Bible. Who, who said that the law is the ministry of condemnation? The Apostle Paul did. In fact, when we get to a couple of Scriptures earlier, Paul actually calls the ministry of the law, and, and how do we know he was talking about the law? He says, for if the law, or if what was engraved on stones... If the ministry of death, in fact, this is how he said it. If the ministry of death engraved on stones had glory, how much not more also the ministry of the Spirit has a far greater glory, all right? So Paul himself said that what was engraved on stones was the ministry of death. So I'm gonna start off by saying this. And then we'll build on it. The law was never given to produce more righteousness in anybody. The law was never given to make you more righteous. I'll say that one more time. The purpose of the law that God gave to Moses, John 1 verse 17 says, The law was given to Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. One was given to a man that God chose as His appointed man in the earth. And the other came through and manifested through a person. One was given. So if I give you something, it was for me to give to you. So there we go. I gave you something. There's Moses. But grace and truth, (laughs) grace and truth came bottled in the person of Jesus. So in other words, Jesus is the person of grace and truth. So I could also say Jesus is grace. He is the manifestation of grace. And I can also say that Jesus is the manifestation of truth. Amen? Would that be okay to say? 
But all right, so the law was never given to make you more righteous. How many of you would agree that in a large part of the body of Christ today, we observe the law and we are trying to live up to the fullness of that law in an attempt to become more righteous. I'm telling you that that is what is happening. But if we understand through the revelation of the Word that is made clear to us that there is a veil that blinds the eyes of so many people that they are under the impression that righteousness is something that they are, there are levels of righteousness that they are becoming more and more righteous the more they are self-obedient to the law. Are you with me? So if the law was not given to produce righteousness in us, what therefore was the law given for? (laughs) Firstly, the law was given, not because it was God's first plan to give the law to the children of Israel. If you read through the book of Exodus, you will find that when God gave the law, the children of Israel came to a place where they said to Moses, hey, we will do anything God tells us to do. All that you tell us that God says for us to do, we will go ahead and do that. And and the attitude there, the posture of the children of Israel is, hey, we'll live up to God's standard. So God says, okay, uh, Moses goes up to Mount Sinai. Of course, we know he breaks the, the, the tablets of stone, goes back up, gets, in, gets a bunch of other tablets. But the point of the matter is, is the children of Israel, as the law is given, become aware for the very first time since Adam, how far short they fell in the eyes of a holy God. So the only purpose of the law was to produce in us the revelation and understanding that we were in need of a Saviour. That's it. Because it immediately made you aware how far short you fell. That no matter how much you tried by your own effort, it would be temporary until the next time that you stumble or the next time that you make a mistake because in your flesh, how many of you realise that we, we, we make some mistakes every once in a while? And God's perfect law could never, would never, God's justice would never adapt to any imperfections. Therefore, the blood of animals was the process by which that blood would begin to act as atonement or a covering. Atonement just would be, so the children of Israel essentially are swiping their credit card every time they bring their animal uh, 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 once a year. And of course, there were other sacrifices that were done throughout the year, but the big one was the day of atonement where they'd line up with their animal. The priests would inspect the animal. And here, isn't it painting such a perfect picture for us as 
as we talk about this, and this is a good reminder because we establish who we are as a body of believers here on the centrality of Jesus. And we stand on this one truth that must be echoed as loudly as possible. It has got nothing to do with you. It has got everything to do with Jesus. The Gospel is not what I bring to the table. The Gospel is what He brought to the table and what I get to live in because of His goodness and not because of my goodness. That is the bedrock foundation where we put Jesus at the centre of what we preach. And Paul himself said, if any man or an angel come and preach to you any other message that deviates from the statement I just made to you, he said, let him be accursed because he is presenting to you another Christ. And he said it twice. The same thing, if any man come to you or an angel that declares a message other than the statements you just heard that it's about him and him alone, let him be accursed. The truth is found in the Word. And I don't care what kind of visitation you may have here today from any supernatural being that might come to your doorstep, if that supernatural being comes to your doorstep and tells you anything else than what's in this Word with some new revelation that hasn't already been given to us by Jesus Himself. And if it is another message, you reject it. I don't care how much supernatural. That is exactly the way the Church of Mormonism was formed. That is exactly the way that the Church of the Latter-day Saints were formed. by a visitation of a demonic spirit. Are you with me? It's getting really quiet here today. So the law was given to show us, in fact, I can't, I don't have it on the top of my head yet, but I can quote it. The law served as a tutor to bring you to faith. Are you with me? Or to bring you to Christ. So the law served as a tutor. This is now before you were in Christ. The law served as a tutor, why? Because it taught you you were in need of a Saviour, right? And then it says, but now that the tutor has come. Which part about, but now that the tutor has come? Don't we understand? So in other words, the law has served its purpose and Christ has come and we are now in Christ. And how many of you know that the law of liberty in Christ Jesus is far superior to that which Paul says is the ministry of death engraved in stones? Why? Because we don't have to follow what was engraved in stones to understand how to manifest the one on the inside of us. It is not necessary for us to observe that. Why? Because you were given the Holy Spirit of promise. 
and He lives and resides on the inside of you. And when last did the Holy Spirit in you, if you would actually sit and think about it, when last did the Holy Spirit on the inside of you in the middle of being in the presence of God tell you, hey, there's a bank down the road, go ahead and rob it. When last did the Holy Spirit in you tell you, it's okay, go ahead and lie to this person. When did the Holy Spirit tell you to go and commit adultery? But we have more faith in the law to produce the righteousness that He gave us than we have in the Holy Spirit who is able to keep us free if we will be led by that Spirit. Your flesh can only produce a temporary righteousness that will be based completely on your emotions and your feelings. It's a terrible thing. Because you'll be like, well, I just don't feel holy today. I just don't feel good. I, I, I usually pray for four hours every morning and today I never prayed for my four hours. And now, uh, you know, I just feel like I'm not anointed. God doesn't live in me. He's left me. Uh, you know, I failed God. Whatever it is, or you make a mistake. It is only as strong as your ability and your emotions to feel like you did good. Come on now, I'm not preaching to, to I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, is this making sense to anybody? Amen. So the law was never given to produce righteousness on the inside of you. It was given for your need to understand that we needed a Saviour, especially of those. That's why they believed in a time where they would be receiving an everlasting righteousness from the Messiah to come. And they looked forward to that day because apart from Him, even the blood of animals would not suffice. And as long as we were in that era, the blood of animals would continue to have to be sacrificed year after year after year. But still would never be good enough to purchase salvation for them. Are you with me? So what makes us think that we are more smarter than the children of Israel, that we think that through our righteousness, which is anything, any righteousness that comes from our own efforts is self-righteousness. In fact, that's what I believe the Word is talking about, that anything that is not of faith is sin. What does that mean? Anything that is not of faith is sin. Anything that is not rooted in Jesus is sin. Anything that comes from my life that gets me to depend upon my own flesh to produce righteousness on the inside of me is a sin. In other words, it's not rooted in your complete ability to rest secure in the one that saved your soul to produce. He began the work in you. He is faithful to complete the work in you. 
He started it and He's gonna end it. The only thing that we bring to the table is to say, yes, thank you, Jesus. I rest in what You have begun. And Lord, I celebrate You as You bring me on this journey and complete it. So it takes You yielding to the work that He began so that He can complete it in You. Come on now, somebody. It's not a very popular subject in the body of Christ. Especially when the world we live in, we have been automatically by default structured to think it's based on my efforts 100%. Now, in the secular world, yes, absolutely. When you are working your job in the secular world, there is a system in the secular world that does not apply to the kingdom of God and the operations of the kingdom. So while I might make statements on Facebook, uh, you know, to the degree, like I just made something uh, on, 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 in the business sector, you know, you, you've got major goals. You, you've got these huge goals for, for great success in the natural world. But if your ethics or your diligence doesn't line up with your goals, you're like a dude or a woman riding a bicycle believing you're gonna land on the moon. Are you with me? Why? Because in the business realm, What you put in is what you're gonna get out. Are you with me? Those are natural earthly principles. Now we also as believers have an unfair advantage is because while we're doing the natural, we have the supernatural power of God that is able to go before us and make the crooked places straight. But remember this, God says, I'll bless the work of your hands. So if you give Him your hands, He'll bless them. What does it mean to give God your hands? That means is when God gives you an idea, you run with it. When you, you've got to give Him something to work with. The miracle of the oil that never ran dry in the famine with the widow woman and Elijah, the prophet speaking with her, he said, go and get a bunch of vessels and take what you have and pour it and just keep on pouring the oil into the vessels. Well, guess what? If she never gave God the vessels, there would be no flow of oil. And guess what? The miracle stopped when the vessels were no longer being supplied. So God needed her to bring the vessel. Amen? So we've got two conundrums here is because we come into the kingdom of God, we come into the kingdom of God and we have this idea that, you know, just somehow it's all gonna just take place out of nowhere. And in the business, you know, we apply a, 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 and and really I call it a, 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 uh, um, uh, a lethargical spirit. It's an excuse in the natural realm. And then we, on the other side of it, we take the king, the earthly secular thought process and it comes right into the church where we believe it's all about what we do, do, do. Are you with me? And that has crept inside of the body of Christ. 
the way to see the anointing flow is by resting in what Jesus already acquired for you. Amen? Come on. So again, the law was only made manifest to reveal to us. In fact, because the law was given, sin was revealed. A consciousness of sin came when the law was given. So before the law was given, there wasn't that consciousness. There was people, just so, just so we're clear, before the law was given, there was a consciousness of right and wrong. Are you with me? But a consciousness of sin was not the same as the ability to discern right and wrong. When the law was given, the consciousness of sin came into being. Why? Because when the law was given, guess what? It revealed to us how far we missed the mark and what is sin, the word sin means to miss the mark. The Bible says in the book of Corinthians, I believe it's chapter 12, verse 56, and you'll find it. And, and, and if you'll just type in the words the correct way, you can find it and do a search. But it says, the strength, the strength of sin is the law. We don't talk about that a whole bunch, do we? The strength of, the, of sin is the law. In other words, the law gave sin its strength. Because now the children of Israel were put into a position where they tried to, and, and, and remember this, that old covenant was a covenant that was, you know, they had to do good, do good, get good. Do bad, get bad. That's the old covenant. And why do you think that they were exhausted and frustrated? Why? Because they knew that they wouldn't be able to pass the test and that the blood of animals was the only thing that was keeping them. In a sense, it was a temporary grace. Amen? In other words, the power of the blood of that animal would only be as efficacious or effective as the day that it expired. The moment the day that expired, the new animal had to be put in place. Are you with me? Somebody say temporary. temporary. It was temporary. My Lord, okay, I better, I haven't even, anyway. <coughs> temporary. So if the ministry of condemnation, verse nine, and we haven't gone back to verse one, has glory, how much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory? You see, how much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory? The ministry of righteousness far exceeds the temporary righteousness that the law could produce in the children of Israel. And by the way, the law was a covenant that was only cut between God and the children of Israel. The Gentiles were not included in that. But we've got professional Christians on this side that have actually taken ownership of a covenant that was never theirs. Oh, 
I'm not talking rubbish here. I'm not making stuff up. The book of Hebrews, go read it for yourself. The law was made obsolete. Jesus did, if the, if the law was good enough, there would be no need for Jesus. Come on, ask yourself a few questions here. Let's apply some logic to our brains here because God did put your brain and your body for a reason. It's okay to actually think things through. The Bible also says, let us reason with Him. So if the law could produce salvation, then why would God have to send His only begotten Son? His only one and unique Son, never to come again. Why? Because He fulfilled His purpose. In, in The Father fulfilled His purpose through Him. So it, was, would have been known, it, would have, it wouldn't have been necessary. And just, to make one more picture here while I'm kind of just sealing this because I've got to kind of, you know, there's a couple of, uh, you know, when you have a hose pipe and it's got a, or you've got a, a hose pipe with a bunch of different sprinkles coming out, you know, I've got to plug some of the holes. So right now I'm just pl- closing the final plugs of these holes so that there's not one going, but what about this one? You didn't finish that. But let me just go ahead and say this. There was nothing wrong with the law in the sense that it was God's perfection revealed to the children of Israel. I'll say that one more time. The law was God's perfection revealed to the children of Israel. And then we get to verse 10, for indeed what had glory. So I'm acknowledging what had a glory. So somebody say this with me, the law had glory. In this case, has no glory because the glory that's of the glory that surpasses it. What is it talking about? The one who would replace that pre-existing glory that only could produce temporal results. Amen. Until the Savior could come, and then the next verse eleven says, "For if that which fades away was with glory, what was fading away? That the law." The law of Moses was fading away. How much more that which remains is in glory. So the law had glory that was temporal. So I'll finish with this. Let me just go back. Let's go back to verse four here. It says, such confidence we have through Christ towards God, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming. Come on, there you go. It's the language that I'm talking to here. This is what Paul is saying. Not that we are adequate in ourselves. We don't bring anything to the table. Now, let's not go into this place of false humility. Oh me, oh my, I bring nothing. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Now, I wanna help you this morning. You are not a sinner saved by grace. If you are in Christ, you are no longer a sinner saved by grace because to imply that you are a sinner, that means that you are cut off from God. You are no longer a sinner saved by grace. You are a born again believer, a brand new creation in Christ that has been imputed with the very righteousness of God. So you are no longer a sinner saved by grace, but you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. 
Well, what do you mean? I'm no longer, a, I'm not a sinner saved by our sin. You don't understand. You're mixing up your ability to sin and to fall short with, the, with, with what Adam did. Oh, Adam, Adam, you were, you're talking about the sin there being a noun. That means you were, you, when you came out of your mother's womb, the Bible says all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. When you came out of your mother's womb, you were born a sinner. Is it because you sinned when you came out your mother's womb? Or have you not understood that the most perfect, innocent thing that you could ever see is a brand new baby? coming out of the mother's womb. Innocent is all get out, but yet the Bible declares that this child is a sinner. The child is not a sinner because the child sinned. The child is a sinner because Adam sinned. What did that child do to be called a sinner? I mean, my goodness, there is perfect righteousness there. Perfection. So if you are a sinner, that means you are actually by virtue making a claim that you are still cut off from God like Adam was. It doesn't mean now that you are saved and you have the ability to sin in action, that you're able to tell a lie or you're able to do all of these things that you are a sinner. No, you have the ability to sin, but the thing that cut you off from God, which was Adam, you have been redeemed in that Christ became righteousness for you. Come on, is that good news? So we've got to identify with ourselves. We have to identify ourselves with the one who produced the eternal change on the inside of us that produced that righteousness within you. Come on now, somebody. So what Jesus did is not to be compared with the old. There would be no purpose for him if it were not so. Jesus said, Jesus said that, you know, it would be necessary for, uh, actually Paul said in the book of Hebrews, uh, if you don't believe that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, it's fine, I'm not gonna argue with you. Um, In the book of Hebrews, it actually says, in order for the new inheritance to be received, it would be necessary for one to die. Or if you you were wanting to receive the new inheritance or testament, it would be necessary for the testator to die. In other words, you cannot receive your inheritance until the person that can give it to you dies before you can receive it. And we know that Jesus died in order for us to have that divine inheritance. We know that because He is alive 
and He is well and He is seated at the right hand of the Father. Come on, ever interceding for us. Are you with me? He is alive and well and He has made you righteous. He has plucked you out of the kingdom of darkness to where you came from, where you were once a sinner. You were cut off, but He came as you put your faith in Him. He, by the grace of God, by grace through faith, as you believed, came and made alive your spirit that was cut off and birthed you into this kingdom as a brand new child of God by which we all can cry out, Abba, Father, we were adopted into Him and now we all get the right to call ourselves sons and daughters of the Most High God. And I'm not here to try and get goosebumps on your goosebumps here today. I'm only here to tell you that I am here to glorify the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords and His Name is Jesus. And if you have a problem with the Gospel you've heard today, you don't have a problem with me. You have a problem with the Word of God because what you're hearing is the centrality of Jesus Christ. Let that empower you today. Let that infuse you today. Be infused. This shouldn't, this shouldn't make you go, oh my goodness, what am I hearing this morning? Some of you go, am I really, is this, does the word, yeah, the word really says that. Why do you think it's called good news? It's good, somebody say good news. That's what the gospel is. It's good news. It's not bad news. It's good news. He redeemed me. He saved me. Have we forgotten where we started out? Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? We did the Scripture when we were dealing on witchcraft in the church, but, but let's use that same. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who came and deceived you? After starting out in the Spirit, now you've ended up in the flesh. Who came and told you it's all about you? In other words, who brought you back to the law of Moses, telling you that you still have to adhere to that? Who lied to you? Who deceived you and told you that the old still carries its weight? No. In Christ, all things have changed. Are you with me? And the problem with Paul and the church at the time, his frustration was is that they were depending upon themselves to be able to produce a righteousness or a holiness within themselves. And Paul was saying, no, you are frustrating the grace of God because you're trying to do what grace was designed to do for yourself. You're trying to do it. And he was saying, would you quit allowing these people to deceive you and lie to you? Salvation is of Christ and of Christ alone. The old carries no more context or power for salvation. No power. And neither does observing anything in it produce power for you today. The only thing 
that we can do with the law as the Bible is from Genesis to Revelation, the inspired Word of God. The only thing that the old will do for you is when you look at it and you begin to see Christ in the pages of the old. Christ in the old covenant is Christ hidden. The new covenant is Christ revealed. Are you with me? So when you observe the old, look at the old, your motivation to look at the old is to find where Christ is hidden. And when you see the types and shadows and you can see Jesus in the old, allow that to stir up faith. You see, without going in that direction, when we observe the old, we are doing something that carries no more power because it serves for us to go, thank God Jesus came because faith is now stirred up. That's the purpose of the old. Thank God Jesus came. Thank God we observed to see, wow, Jesus, look at Jesus. Now Jesus has come. Thank God Jesus came. Can we give Jesus a shout of praise in this place? (laughs) Hallelujah. Hallelujah.